0: Hi, everyone. This is Javier, your host here at The Restore Podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts about The Restore Podcast topics, guests, your favorite episodes, or whatever you may want to let us know. And I am so happy to announce that now you can do that simply by texting us. By going to the show notes, there you will see a link that simply says, send us a text message. Click on it. Don't remove the number there that you will see and simply send us a text. Simple as that. So don't wait. Go to any episode show notes and text us now. Let us know your thoughts. We can't wait to hear from you. God bless.
1: Welcome to Restore, a podcast
2: seeking to restore the vision, restore the mission, restore the church. And now your host, Javier Diaz.
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Restore Podcast, episode 60. My name is Javier, and I'm your host. I hope and pray that from wherever you may be and whatever you may be doing while listening, whether that is exercising, doing house chores, or driving your car, that you will be safe. And we also thank you for listening. On today's special episode, in honor of Black History Month, we are releasing this episode focused on the art and beauty of the Black preaching tradition. There's so much that can be said about this art and beauty of Black preaching, and I'm glad and thankful to have had two wonderful experienced practitioners, preachers, speaking into this topic. One of those is Dr. Hyveth Williams, who is a homiletics professor at the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary at Andrews University, and she's also the director of the Doctor of Ministry program there. My other guest has been on the podcast before as my co-host for episode 49, uh, when we spoke with another great, amazing preacher himself, Dr. Calvin B. Rock, and if you haven't had the chance to listen to that episode, I highly encourage you to do so. Again, that's episode episode 49. Dr. Gervon Marsh has a doctorate in preaching from Dallas Theological Seminary and is a colleague of mine working here as part of our ministerial team of the Florida Conference. He is a friend and I've been so blessed by the many many conversations we've had on an abundance of different topics and one of them has been black preaching. With that said, please make sure to check out all the show notes where I have many links to several preachers that were mentioned towards the end of this episode, along with books and an article as well. So, please make sure to check out those links. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Hyveth Williams and Dr. Gervon Marsh. I want to welcome Dr. Hyveth Williams and Dr. Gervon Marsh to the Restore podcast. Welcome, you guys. Good to be here.
1: Thank you very much for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Well, Gravon has been on before, and uh, so I want to start with you, Dr. Hyreth-Williams. Please, as we always do here on the podcast, tell us a little bit about yourself. We would love to know a little bit more about you and uh, where you come from, how you got to where you're at right now in, in your position there at the seminary and the North American division. So, uh, yes, please. Yes.
1: I was born in Jamaica and I moved to England when I was an early teen Mm. and um, did my high school in England, finished my high school in England and did some GCE um, um, exams there and went into the um, entertainment industry as an actress. And I did that for... Several years, and that was how I came to America mm. to continue my acting career. But it didn't turn out that way. I went into politics instead, which is another form of entertainment. <laughs> 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 it depends on which side you're on. Sure, sure. And and, um, and it was in that state stage of um, my journey that the Lord came into my life. I was an atheist up until then and had Mm. a very dramatic conversion. And the Lord led me through many churches to the Seventh-day Adventist Church and told me he wanted me to share what he had done for me. And Mm. so he, he opened doors for me to become a pastor. I did my undergraduate at Columbia Union College, which is now Washington Adventist University. And then went to the seminary, and did my MDiv, did my um, mm, doctor of ministry at Boston University. And now I'm doing a PhD, midway through a PhD in leadership wow. at, at Andrews University.
0: Fantastic. And um, I,
1: te- I teach and I also um, started a church. Actually, tomorrow will be the eighth anniversary of the church that I launched and we mm-hmm. just bought a huge building last last month and um, last mm-hmm. year september and we're having our grand opening on april 3rd and we 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 have um since the pandemic we have 20,000 regular worshipers wow. um on the internet and facebook and uh, youtube and all of that so that's my story and i'm sticking to it
0: <laughs> <laughs> hi Abith, that's amazing I would love to hear a little bit more, a couple of things. Number one, give us the name of the church and uh, congratulations on the new sanctuary. Yes. And then I would love to hear a little bit more about your story, if you could have some time to go a little bit deeper. I mean, from atheist to actress, politician to pastor, that's pretty amazing, right? Um, I don't mm-hmm. think there's few stories that have all of those components. So tell us a little bit more about that in the name of the church.
1: Yes, the church is named The Grace Place, mm. and it's a community-based entrepreneurial church, meaning that um, we focus on the community, but, and it's entrepreneurial because we don't rely on funds from the conference. We have an organization in California, a nonprofit organization in California, that provides all the funding. They're the ones who purchase the church. Um they, they provide all the funding. Everything is done pretty much by them. The conference has contributed some small amounts along the way, but we don't look to them for, for that. Um, we have lots of seminarians who come to learn about ministry with us. And some of them, we provide a stipend for them, a monthly um, pay for them, a good, good amount. And um I don't get any pay at all. I'm not worth it. I get zero. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, that's that's how we've got it set up and it's working well. We we don't accept transfers from local churches. So everyone who's a member has to be a new believer or a returning believer to Christ. Wow. Yeah.
0: That that's so you don't accept any transfers of no, folks from no. other churches. So you you no. you have your core uh, leaders, and obviously yes. including yourself. Yes. Uh, but aside from that, and those that help you start the church, mm-hmm. uh, it's only new people that are yes. coming in. That's really yes. interesting. Mm-hmm. So what do you say to a person that uh, church member, being that it's in an area where there's quite a few Adventists, right? In, mm-hmm. in, in that yes. area. What, what do you say to people that, that come and, and, and want to be part of it?
1: Uh, they're welcome to worship with us on Sabbath, but they just can't be members.
0: Okay. Wow. Fascinating.
1: Yeah. And Because we, we want to show that um, we can grow a church from scratch because transfers is not church growth. Mm. Although mm. many Adventists have looked at transfers as church growth, but it's not. You're just yeah. moving one body from one area to another. So um, we want to show that we can win new people to Christ and who will be willing to accept the Adventist message. And that's what we're about.
0: Powerful. Well, we're going to have to have you back for another episode when we talk about church growth, for sure. Yes. And so, um, but also tell us, you know, thank you for that. Tell us now a little bit more about your personal testimony, right? Uh Yeah, go ahead.
1: I was raised in a family where we went to church Easter and Christmas. Mm-hmm. That that was it. So we weren't really Christians, or we called ourselves Christians, but not not the way we do now. That I am a Christian, and um, when I, as I was growing up, I really loved writing and escaping in my mind to. Acting and so forth, and when the opportunity came when I moved to England to be an actress, I jumped. I jumped on that, and that worked out really well. I did well there, and then the time came when I thought I'm big enough to go to the U.S. Mm. I came to the U.S. and instead of um, finding my way through the entertainment industry, I went into radio mm. and. Um, I became a talk show host on a radio in Connecticut. And one of the times when I was talking on the show, there there was a mayoral ca- campaign and I was saying some nasty things about the mayor and he heard me and came to the studio and challenged me to do his job. And of course the audience and my bosses, they thought that was great. So we had a couple of weeks where they, you know, I went around with the mayor trying to do things and everything. But that those couple of weeks really taught me that I didn't know anything. I was just a big mouth and I didn't know anything at all. I didn't know American history. Mm. It, it, it was just in the time when the racial, uh, the tail end of the racial upheavals of the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, what I had to say was just sounded like a dumb person talking,
3: hmm.
1: but I, but I learned a lot and it taught me how to read and research and, and learn. And um, I did some classes and in the process of growing, I decided to run against the mayor, my wow. boss. And, and I started a campaign and it was going really well. and, it was at that time that the Lord came into my life. I heard God call me out loud in my head, heart, and in, in my space in which I live. And that went on for a few weeks. And I, quit sm- I was smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. I quit cold turkey because God said so. And I was using marijuana a lot. I quit that. And I went to church, went first to a Catholic church, and they, they, the priest told me one day that the members were complaining that they couldn't drink from the same cup from which I drank because I was black. And, and so I went to a Baptist church, and he wanted to baptize me without giving me Bible studies, and mm. I'm giving you the short form. And so I left and I went back to England where I grew up. And this young lady um, led me to the Adventist church. And my experience was not 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 welcoming, but, but she really challenged me to follow God. And I did. And I stayed in the Adventist church and was baptized eventually. And when I came back to the U.S., I felt the strong call of God to the ministry, and here I am today.
0: Well, praise the Lord. That is a um, fascinating story. And I know we want to get into our main topic here on Black Preaching, which I'm extremely excited about. Uh, but uh, I, I still, there, I have so many questions even after listening to that, and I'm sure as those that will be listening will. Yeah, but I want to thank you. I,
1: I wrote an autobiography. Yeah, and you can you can see a lot of my journey through yes, those th- phases.
0: Yes. And so that's what I was going to mention as well. So we want to put that in the show notes. For those that mm. are interested, we're going to have that we're going to have a link to that in the show notes. So yes. make sure to check that out. But we are praising God the way that God has led you, Hyveth, And we know that he has. And uh, we'll continue to use you in many ways um, as he is doing and will be doing. And so thank you for being here and um, having this amazing conversation. Uh, Gervon, you have been on the podcast before. You're a personal uh, friend that we have constant conversations here in Florida. And man, I have learned a lot from you. So thank you for coming back on. And if you want to listen to uh, the first time that... um, Garvan was on. He was on uh, last uh, summer with Dr. Calvin Rock when he was on, and that was episode forty-nine. So make sure to check that out. So, with that said, I want to jump right in, just for the essence of time. And um, I'm so excited because I've had so many conversations in preparation for this particular episode with so many of my friends and colleagues, Um, uh, and and a lot of the questions that I have, or I would say them, I think all of them have come from those conversations, have come from them, Black preachers that I have spoken to um, that are, again, colleagues and friends that I work with. And so I am excited to get deeper into this uh, topic here for Black History Month and, and beyond, of course. So let's just begin with, I guess, a working definition or explanation, however we want to define that. But define for us, actually, Black preaching, and who, whoever wants to go first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys decide. Well, I've been talking Hyvithi- a lot. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Gervon pointed at you, and then Haiveth is yeah. saying you, Gervon. I uh, okay. want to hear from the professor. Okay. Well, be-
1: because, because you mentioned Dr. Calvin Rock, I'm going to use his um, definition, which he published in 2000, in the year 2000, in Ministry Magazine. Yeah. And I wrote, wrote it down so that I wouldn't uh, misquote him. But he said Black preaching is a homiletic art, an, a homiletic art form born of faith, rooted in love, driven by hope, shaped in trial, nurtured by pain, mentored in suffering, and authenticated by time.
0: Mm. Beautiful, beautiful, and, and we'll we're to yeah, have.
1: I've never read another so clearly um, staged.
0: Yeah, we're gonna also have that article. I believe uh, that's an article that I've sent out to a few people as well that mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Rock wrote, like you said, 20 years ago. I actually, for another question, I have a, I have a little paraphrase or a little comment from that. So that's an incredible definition, Gravan, Is there anything you want to add to that? Well,
2: for me, it has always been, Black preaching has been an experiment with the experiential. And what do I mean by that? Um, I've had the privilege of um, studying at Dallas Theological Seminary, and I specifically did my demon there, focusing on preaching. Um, and it was very interesting. In class, there were only two Black guys, myself and Michael. But I don't know what happened. Whenever Michael preaches, and he's a Baptist preacher, whenever he preaches, I see uh, my white professors getting all excited, and they talk about the experience that they just Mm -hmm. had. It's uh, an experiment with the experience where the Word of God becomes so lively and becomes so real, and it literally seeps into your being that it stimulates a response that is emotional that is intellectual, that is cognitive, and all of that. So it's that experience that you have where, based on the word, it not just now is a written word. It literally becomes a living word for your experience, and it just seeps into your entire being and stimulates you in so many ways.
1: Yeah. Um, This one writer, I think it's Cleophas LaRue, he says that um, Black preaching is potable, and portable. Mm.
3: Mm.
2: <laughs> mm.
0: <laughs>
2: Powerful. And portable. I like that. Yeah. Yes.
0: Um, you know, Garvan recommended a book that I um, have almost finished, um, and it's called Black Preaching, uh, The Recovery of a Powerful Art by Henry Mitchell. And
1: yes, yes. Well, Henry Mitchell is considered to be the father of the mm-hmm. recovery of black preaching. Yeah. because because there was a time in the 1950s when black preaching became at least perceived as the domain of um, liberation um, theology, the- the- theology, and so forth, and so a lot of people stayed away from it. Mm. But he re- he recovered it as a homiletical art art.
0: That's wonderful, thank you for that and uh, I highly encourage the book. It was written a few decades ago um and uh, but it's still very relevant, very oh, powerful yes. very oh, very yes. insightful um and i i i I've, I've really appreciated and he gives these examples of you know many preachers of yesteryear with you know snippets yes. of their sermons yes uh, and
1: uh, and for ahead. women i mm-hmm. I would like to add that for women, his wife has written um Uh, more she more edited a book on preaching black Mm -hmm. preaching by women oh that that is just outstanding and i can't think of the name of the book right now but i have it in my library and i've referred to it many times
0: that'd be great if you can give me that name i'm going to add that to the show notes as well well in the book around page uh see I'm, i'm looking at my notes here i think it's 104 or 114 around there um he says this, and then we're going to flow from a question that, uh, that uh, kind of derives from this comment that he makes. And he says black preaching at its best has remained focused on problems that people confront daily and, and feel real needs in meeting people who are oppressed are often preoccupied with problems. The black preacher has had to give strength for the current day's journey the guidance and vision for extended survival in an absurdly trying existence powerful mm-hmm. words there and so so we kind of went with the foundation of what black preaching is now let's talk about some of that essence of black preaching right its style the essence of call and response um whooping uh, music, interpretation of the biblical yeah. text, rhetoric so I' kind of a it's a loaded question to let you guys just go with it. so if you yeah. can break but, it down for us
1: One of the problems that mm-hmm. I have with um, the understanding or misunderstanding of black preaching is that a lot of people think it's you know jumping, shouting, whooping, mm. you know all of those kinds of things and, and it's not. Right. those are some of the things. That were added, stab, stuttering, for example, was added as, as a gimmick to get the attention or to say, "I'm really with you in this moment." But, mm. but the real essence of black preaching is its biblical roots. Mm. you know, its ability to take a, a story that was written and told thousands of years ago and make it so um, port- so portable that it becomes a living experience now. Mm. And that's something that no other genre of preaching has done.
2: Mm.
1: And and that's the key to, I believe, to Black preaching, which is what Garvan said about the experience.
2: And and it's worth noting what Doc just said, because um, there is substance, and that's the important Mm -hmm. thing. It's not just the experience. There is substance that um, uh, uh, that produces that experience. You'll notice that as you study the history, even that book that you, you referenced, have you a very good book, I've read it, and that's why I recommended it to you. It talks about the fact that you're addressing the real needs of an oppressed people. So mm-hmm. you can't come to people who are oppressed just thinking that you want to just stimulate an emotional response. They want to know what does the word of God mean for me as I'm dealing with the oppressor or I'm dealing with these challenges that I am facing? How can I make it relevant to my life and how is it going to help me uh, do better or experience better from, 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 from the spoken word? So, yeah.
1: Yes. Well, there's, there's a, an important um, part of black preaching that i'd like to interject is that the early listeners of black preachers used to say is there a word from the lord Mm -hmm. it's it's not like you came in and you told what the psychiatrists say and you Mm -hmm. know what this um, philosophy suggests or anything like that it's the word of the lord that the people came to hear and it's really significant that black preaching Actually started as entertainment. Mm,
3: the, tell me more the, about
0: that.
1: Yeah, the white folks used to have the slaves who were able to, because of the cadence of, of their voice and the way they delivered um, words that sounded like singing, and they could and they could take one little word from God and build a whole sermon from that. Um, they would have the slaves come mm. and, and do their Sunday afternoon entertainment. And, and the, the early listeners of black preaching by the slaves, the slaves were the ones who started it um, and mostly sharing their diaspora and experience. The, the early listeners were so entertained by it that they used to have fake funerals Mm. just to hear those gifted slaves preach. Mm. And th- and then it moved on to being used as communication to those who were going to escape and so on and so forth because they had access where where the others didn't have access. Those who were used for the entertainment would be able to, the slaves would be listening in the bushes or somewhere they would be able to communicate messages just like the um, songs, songs by the slaves. Mm-hmm. You were used to communicate a message. They use that um, sermonic opportunity to do that. Hmm.
2: Doc said something also which is so important, because if you study the history of Black preaching, um, remember that in a time of slavery, Blacks were not considered human; you were subhuman, yes. so they weren't even given the right to really worship or even listen to, um, mm-hmm. you know, sermons. Hence, the reason they were used for entertainment for yes. whites. And it, it's mm-hmm. interesting that out of that, God developed something that is, is is really so beautiful now. Yeah.
1: Yes, and and here's something that happened that I think God did this miracle. Um, of course, they couldn't read English. Most of them who were transported from Africa to America couldn't read English. But the ones who were the house slaves, the children taught them what they were learning because, you know, they had free access to the children. That's mm. how they learned to read. Wow. And then they passed it on and passed it on and and, and became brilliant students of the word of God.
0: Mm. Amazing, amazing history! Amazing here, just listening to what you guys are saying. Um, and Henry Mitchell, in oh. his book, he 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 um, really delineates a lot of that history in different forms. Right about, yes. about yes. education and, and and just really breaks it down there. Yes. Um, I
1: I, I he, want to share a little bit yeah. of a history, a hu- humorous history. Um, nowadays, black preachers, particularly. Um, perhaps even in our denomination. They like to wear these these wonderful, beautiful gowns, you know, um, Afrocentric um, gowns that they wear into the pulpit, robes, you know, they mm-hmm. like to wear these many robes and things like that. And it is true, it's part of the heritage, but Black preachers, especially the itinerant preachers, wore robes to cover up the patches and torn mm. clothes that they had that it wasn't <laughs> worn oh to,
3: wow.
2: <laughs> it
1: wasn't worn to show their th- their ability their to
2: garb or, yeah. yes, <laughs> e- exactly
1: exactly that's why they wore it because you know they didn't have were not allowed clothes like so they would put on a big robe and yeah. cover them
2: If I could say a a word here, Javier, about um, style, call, response, whooping, music, interpretation, and so forth. It's interesting that, as pointed out, a number of factors contributed to the development of Black preaching. But uh, I can hear a sermon um, and know that it is Black preaching, so to speak, just because of specific characteristics for example, I, I you, you talk about call and response. Mm-hmm. This too was grounded even in um, the 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 African tradition because the way they would sing, you know, it's a call and response. And um the congregation believed that they needed to be engaged in the worship experience. It and was the preaching- participatory. Exactly. It's participatory. Mm-hmm. And the preaching is a part of the worship experience. So, you know, it is, it is quite unlikely that you're going to be there as a preacher and not involve the congregation in some way, somehow. And a lot of that came out of the music, which, of course, is very prominent in Black preaching. Many Black preachers today, many of them are great preachers, intellectuals. You'll notice what they'll do. They will preach. And then when they end, they end on a high where they are singing and uh, or they, they start to sing sing the sermon and so forth. And that's when the celebration starts, but they give you the content, the substance before they get there. All of this is coming out of that African heritage where you have to participate in the process, you know, the, the, the singing, the call and response, all of this. So it is grounded in, in a history that is very rich. And that comes from very far, you know, very, very far back then.
1: The idea of style and content, form, and style. um, For example, the Black preaching has two main um, principles that must, these two things must be involved in Black preaching for it to be considered authentic Black preaching, protest, and praise. Mm. There, Mm. there, There must be something that you're telling the people God said that this is the way it should be, but it has not been that way, and we're protesting on behalf of God. And then the celebration is to say, just like, um, and they almost always refer to the Red Sea experience. The same way that God led, uh, made a miracle to lead the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea is the same way God is going to lead you out of this broken situation. And that's where the praise or celebration comes in. One, one writer puts, defines the movement of black preaching this way. And I use it in my class all the time. And I should remember who said it, but I, I can't remember right now. <laughs> but, but this phrase, um, start slow, go low, mm. climb higher, strike fire, sit down in the storm.
2: Mm. yeah yeah
0: yeah 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 well mitchell yeah. mitchell's in in his book mitchell again speaks of all these different aspects that i i had though i have experienced it in my own way obviously you know attending so many churches and listening to black preaching specifically but the way he delineates it right and you mentioned the essence of starting slow and verbalizing it he talks about that really interesting how in black preaching, it seems, and you guys correct me if I'm I'm not quoting here directly, but it normally tends to start the preacher tends to be slow necessarily yes. on purpose, right? Yes. Talk to me more yes. about that.
1: Well, it's the it's it's a way in which to engage the audience, especially in when introducing them to the, the, the passage, the pericope that mm-hmm. is going to be used um, for, for that um, sermonic moment. And the idea is to not assume that the people know this. And, and it's also respect for the older folks who may have hearing issues who may have language issues, the going slow is a method of communicating, of saying, I am aware of your presence and the differences under which you may be listening. So the going slow has has that kind of idea to it. Mm. The, go, the going low, however, is the way is is the idea from what I understand is because the pulpits originally used to be way up high and the people were way down low and you know the 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 eurocentric theology was that the priests and so forth pastors were closer to god more connected to god and the people were down low so they couldn't be in the same Kind of situation, and unfortunately, Adventists um, adopted that by having two pulpits, you know the mm-hmm. one on the platform and the lower one where the lady could stand. Un- unfortunately we we dispensed with the big high pulpit, but we did carry the same mm-hmm. philosophy. But the thing is that the going low was a way of saying continuing that connection with the people, saying that I'm not higher than you are. So, so, so they used the intonation, the voice to indicate. So um, they would use cliches, vernacular, all of those kinds of things in the go low mm. to connect with the people to say, I, I speak your language and what I'm about to say to you, I will be saying it in a language that you can understand. Mm
0: what are your thoughts on,
2: on one hand as doc just described to it has a it, it, it addresses the issue of style but you'll find also that in some respects it's very inductive where it's taking you to a mm-hmm. crescendo it's mm-hmm. taking you to a main point so the preacher will tell you walk with me follow me because mm-hmm. we're going somewhere and that's when you also end on that high so it's high in the sense of style Because the preacher may have started with a low intonation and then ends on this high where they're singing or they're just celebrating. But also in terms of content, because if you're taking on an inductive journey, you're not giving away your main point at the get-go. You're taking them so you hold them spellbound until you reach that climax. And then when you give it, everybody just celebrates because, yes, this is the moment. So it's both style as well as content in terms of it being in, in 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 an inductive way somewhat.
1: Yeah. Did Did you take Black preaching class with me? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I'll I'll, I'll I'll come audit the class. <laughs>
1: yeah. Who, who did you take it
2: with? I, I, you know what? I didn't do it there. Actually, I yeah. read on it, but I read up on it my, on my own. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I took black preaching at Boston University when I did my doctorate. and okay. yeah, that was because I'm Jamaican, you know, so I, exactly. I, don't, I don't have the natural um, cadence of of the American
3: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, tone, mm. and so I needed to learn the elements of it, because the important thing to know is that you can preach using this homiletical art. And there are many white people on on YouTube and TV trying to imitate this this um, form and style, but uh, but I wanted to learn the very the very elements of it so that when I preached it, I wouldn't have to mimic the cadence mm-hmm. of Americans, but I could do it with my own accent and my own yeah, but still have the elements that define it as such, which is very distinct. One writer said, um, jazz is the only musical uh, um, thing that America, genre that America has produced, and so is black preaching.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you speak of classes, when I was in seminary uh, many moons ago, there was, uh, at that time, Dr. Jones was teaching the black preaching class, Dr. Clifford Jones, an amazing preacher, obviously. And um, every year or every time that um, registration opened up, students would literally leave the classroom and line up. And uh, because it was only taught once a year. So, Dwight, you know, also taught a preaching class and both of these classes filled up immediately. And sadly, since it was only taught once a year and I was only up at Andrews for two years, um, I I wasn't able to take it. But I had a friend, one person, a really good friend at the time who took the class. Um, And he is from his ethnic background is Mexican and We had a lot of conversations about the class. And um, one of the questions as I uh, conversed with, again, so many of my colleagues and friends, and they said, you need to ask this question, which, you know, um, to one extent you already answered, which was, can a non-Black preacher preach the Black preaching tradition? Yes. And and you already, you know, uh, talked about that. So maybe open that up a bit more. uh, Yes. You know, perhaps, Carvon, you can also speak into it.
1: Yeah. I still, oh, te- mm-hmm. I still teach that class only once a year okay. in, in the fall semester. Mm-hmm. And it's usually full with whites, Latinos, Latinas,
3: mm-hmm.
1: every Caribbean folks, everybody, overwhelming the um, real African-Americans.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so, so it, it is very um, attractive to people of other cultures. Mm. The 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 way in which it's important to know that the um, black preaching the the real source of its power is its authenticity. Mm. If if you if you are preaching and the the movement of the spirit causes you to cry, you cry. You if if it causes you to sing, you sing. If it causes you to tell a story, you tell a story. The, the other, you know, I, I teach homiletics and other um, genres require that you stick to a certain structure. But black preaching, while it has its structure, its form, it's it also releases the preacher to be who they are. In Christ, Mm. and I think that's one of the main reasons why anyone. That's number one, number two, and I don't want to kind of dominate this conversation.
0: No, you're good. Go ahead. But
1: (laughs) but the the second reason is although this was born out of suffering and all these kind of things, and you know it's it's Genesis can be traced to uh, the slaves. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, have been touched by sin or know someone who has been damaged by sin. Mm. And therefore, Mm. we can speak to the suffering, if not the physical, abhorrent slave suffering, but definitely the spiritual sin suffering. And therefore, one can speak to that with some
0: realness mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Gervon, you wanted to say something?
2: Uh, sure sure. Um, I, I like what Doc just said. it's about being authentic because you know while one might be able to um, study all the dynamics and all the 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 issues involved in black preaching, people know when we're not authentic as preachers, you know, and if you're just trying to perform or whatever the case is, but all of us, as was just pointed out, have had to deal with suffering in some way, shape or form. And because it has been born out of that, if you understand that you, you, you're able to do it regardless of your ethnic background. So indeed, um, you don't have to be black to preach like a black preacher. I've heard um, some folks who have done a very good job, way better than me. <laughs> um, you know, I've been studied it um, who, who are not black and they've done an excellent job. And I believe it's because it's authentic, and they have they they have ground their preaching experience in that idea that all of us have been affected by sin and suffering in some way, shape, or form.
1: Yes, yes, yes. the The idea is to um, make to, to preach from the perspective of the underdog.
3: Mm.
1: Black, black mm. preaching is preaching from the perspective of the underdog, the disenfranchised, the poor, the neglected, the, the you know, all, all of which is the two thirds population uh, yeah, yeah. on the planet.
0: You know, I grew up in a predominantly, um, not predominantly, I would say 100% uh, Hispanic environment. Um, growing up in Los Angeles, I attended large Spanish churches. So my, uh, you know, growing up, most of the preaching, obviously, that I heard was from, Sp- you know, different people, but it was all in Spanish as I got older and I started visiting different churches and listening to different preaching, and of course, this is way before there's podcasts and YouTube and all of that. One of the first preachers that I listened to outside of my immediate community of faith was Walter Pearson. And as, as I continued to listen to him as I got older, one of the, uh, I mean, he obviously an amazing preacher, can't, can't uh, until that day when Jesus comes, right? He rests in peace. Uh, but he had this power with the biblical narrative that he was just able to unpack And I think narrative of scripture is a a big essence, too, of black preaching. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I think, you know, Mitchell also and others mentioned. Tell us a bit more about that, about how I remember, of course, now many years later, I was blessed to sit in a class when Walter Pearson came when I was at Southern and, and he taught a class and he was there for a special weekend. And I remember him saying this as it was yesterday, amongst many things he said, he said, and 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 this goes and he you know said this was for for all preachers to do this but he said when you preach the narratives of of scripture you have to embed yourself into that story to bring it home and and mm-hmm. and, and maybe he said it a little differently but but that's like the main essence and then as you deliver it you're you know delivering it as if you were there right so um, Jesus Peter in the water the whole scene you're there speak of it as you, as if you were there you were part of that you know you can you can't just read these narratives um with with on a, you know 10,000 foot level you got to dig into them so tell me more about that
1: yeah um before i speak on that i mm-hmm. just don't want to forget that there's a book um, mm-hmm. called preaching in black and white by bailey and wearsby okay and and for those who want to who are not black or African Americans because black covers you know the whole universe of people of color black that doesn't even include your people the brown people mm. it's so but it covers so so it I think that and and anyone can preach black but anyway in terms of uh, say narrative say it again. narrative, narrative yeah, yeah in 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 terms of the narrative, the the important thing about black preaching is that it takes the narrative of of scripture and it breaks down these great theological concepts into the language of the common people.
3: Mm.
1: and that's what narrative does because narrative is story and black preaching is telling this story if you If you listen to the preachers today, they will start with, a, an illustration that will take you into the story. And, and the story always ends with the miracle of God taking you through the Red Sea. Hmm. Whatever that Red Sea might represent, but it, it always ends with this celebration. If it doesn't end with celebration, it's not black preaching. It's hmm. it's somebody talking in somebody else's sleep. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, doc. On that note, if you don't mind me, Abby, I'd like to ask you this because years ago, I, I listened to a sermon by Evie Hill. Um, as you know, he's one oh, of yeah. the great black yes. preacher. Mm-hmm. He has this sermon. Um, when was God at his best? Powerful yeah. sermon, and um, it's hilarious but serious. And in his sermon, he just inserted this, which is an aside, because you are talking about this idea of you know the the the, the 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 deliverance from 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 slavery or whatever yeah, it is yeah. um and he said something that stuck with me he says black preacher ain't preach until he's been to calvary
1: yes and mm. you
2: know um this idea of going to calvary um is, is that required because as i listen to a lot of black preachers these days almost religiously they go to Calvary. No matter what text they preach, they go to Calvary. And, of course, they're not just stopping at Calvary because resurrection morning mm-hmm. is what they're yeah, going to. But some way, somehow, they bring Calvary into the sermon. Why? Yeah. Is it required?
1: Yeah. No, but I, I th- my, my response to that comes from a movie called Amistad. Mm. It's the best movie that I've seen that portrays the transformation of diasporan blacks into the understanding of the gospel. And when they when they were introduced, it was the gospel of Christ at Calvary that they to which they were introduced.
0: Mm. So
1: and and even though they couldn't speak the language, they understood that someone was taken from his uh, origin from the place of his origin was um, suffered and died and was resurrected. And the promise that that's their hope, that's their future. So yes, taking them to Calvary is part of the DNA of black preaching.
0: Mm. Beautiful. Um, I want to I wanna thank you guys uh, for just your time and everything that you're bringing here. Really appreciate it. I want to circle back, um, you know, Hyveth, to the article that you mentioned, and I believe it's the, the same one. I've, I read mm-hmm. it through a couple of times uh, from Dr. Calvin Rock, and again, it's about 20 years ago, but again, mm-hmm. still very, very relevant. And he wrote in this article, he said, in it, he raises the question, is it really possible to do truly black uh, black preaching when we are structurally removed. We as a community of faith from all the rest of black Christianity and bred almost exclusively on Anglo emphasis of scripture. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in other words, he seems to be asking, is it really possible to do truly black preaching as an Adventist preacher? Yes.
1: Yes. And I think he deliberately did it that way because yeah. he's such, he's such a great, um, What's the word? A person who's able to get under your skin without being mean?
0: Gervon <laughs> <laughs> is because, smiling, you're smiling, and I'm smiling. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah.
1: big, big, he's there's a word for it. he's He's an ambassador. he's a mm. you know he's a and word he's a wordsmith. but mm-hmm. basically to what he was referring, and at one point he practically just said it out loud that um, the Seventh-day Adventist Church did not teach Black preaching. Mm. Everything was Eurocentric. It's only in the last, after civil rights, that Adventist preachers, including Black preachers, began Mm. to recapture and reclaim the gifts of Black preaching. Mm. Um, in, In our undergrad Schools, they never taught it. It's it. It became so popular in the seminary because people hadn't heard it anywhere else. Mm. They 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 heard all the different kind Korean preaching, um, Caucasian preaching, you know Eurocentric preaching. I could name a list topical, you know, textual. Narratives, all of these different ones, but not black preaching. Biographical preaching—they were taught all of these, but black preaching was not taught. And I believe—I don't have any proof, so you know—I'm just giving you my own opinion. Like the Apostle Paul, the Lord didn't tell me this, but I'm going <laughs> to say it anyway. I—I um, I believe that there was a, an unconscious modernistic view that salvation is only expressed appropriately and godly in a eurocentric tone and terms mm. and, and 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 what that brought with it was the insistence that it has to be intellectual and not emotional
3: mhm
1: and black preaching requires authenticity. You cannot be preaching about Calvary and the suffering of Jesus and the, how many lashes he took and all of these fainting under the weight of the cross. You cannot preach and talk and not talk about this black man who traveled days from Africa to be in the same place where Christ was. To, to, to have the cross laid on him without feeling something. Mm. And, and the other Eurocentric preaching does not allow the expression. It allows the intellectual exposition of scripture, but not at the emotional. Mm. So you won't find in a church where the people are moved by what was said, you won't see them standing up and shouting and clapping and carrying on as they do in black preaching when they're moved. So I, I think Adventism squeezed out the, the emotional part of the human experience in preaching mm. and, and replaced it with an expansion of the intellectual.
0: Mm. powerful what are your thoughts Gervan?
2: you know as Doc was talking I was reflecting on a study tour we did to Cuba and um, I tell people I've never experienced church like that because I mean the instruments are um, old and just archaic Um, the the people are not as um, fortunate to have the latest sound equipment or anything like that, but there was an authenticity to worship. It's literally like the angels of God or the blood of Jesus covered those pianos because they're out of tune and all that. But when they worship, you're like, wow. And one of the pastors said to me that the the Cuban lives by faith. Why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing this up because um, how are you going to minister to a people if you are removed from their situation? You know, it was not easy for us to go there and 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 minister to them because in many respects, we hadn't been through what they had been through. And in a similar way where Black preaching is concerned, how are you going to minister to people if you're trying to minister to them through your lens as opposed mm-hmm. to their lenses? And I think that's what Dr. Rock is getting at because um, he says, is it really possible to do Black preaching when you're structurally removed from all the rest of Black Christianity? And the rest of Black Christianity, to a great extent, focuses on a lot of the social ills Mm -hmm. that um, the Black people have experienced and is able to tap into that and to speak to their situation because you have tapped into that. How can we, therefore, really preach to those who have been going through oppression if we're so far removed from it. And that's the thing. If I'm the oppressor, what 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 credibility do I have to come and preach to you about your oppression? You know, um, none. <laughs> and I'm not saying the church is the oppressor, but the point is when you're far removed, how authentic is your preaching to me going to be? And I guess that's why there is a need to have such a class as black preaching at the seminary so people understand that you know these are the issues involved in it and as you're preaching to those who have been oppressed or those who have been marginalized or disenfranchised you need to understand what they have been through and why this has impacted them and shaped them the way it has done and get into that genuineness to preach to them.
1: Hmm. One of the things that comes to mind, um, not last year, last class, last fall, but the class before that, I had a um, Hispanic young man, and I believe he preached the best sermon that I've heard, perhaps among the best that I've heard in these classes. And my classes, when there's preaching, the other seminarians pack the room. (laughs) <laughs> because they're hearing preaching that they've just not even thought of. But anyway, he preached a sermon on the situ- the immigration situation where the people from Honduras and different places were um, being taken into, were fleeing from their suffering to find hope in America, and were put in cages and so forth. I am telling you all of us black white caribbean everybody we melted mm. we it was just outstanding and 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 he did it in the black genre mm. and he didn't have to have the cadence but because his soul mm. had been suffering for his peoples dignified way in which they were being treated, he was able to capture that experience and preach it and, and let this scripture speak. So, So this is why I underscore that the two elements of Black preaching is protest. You've got to be on God's side. Mm. And God's side is always protesting because something isn't being done the way God said. Mm. Somebody's suffering because somebody else is not following the plans that God laid out. So there has to be protest. But if it's only protest, it's just angst. It's just, you know, cowardly conversation. But when you protest, you show the plan that God laid out. And the plan that God laid out was the Red Sea and Calvary.
0: Yeah, that's really, I'm just processing a lot of what you guys are saying here. And in the many conversations that I had leading up to the recording of this episode, I think that was one of the things that stood out to the many people that I spoke with. And I simply asked them to tell me, what is black preaching to them what does it mean what what are your thoughts about it what is the essence and it just opened up this this converse this beautiful conversation one after the other several and both women and you know also men of course and one of the main things that came out even as i'm listening to you guys just to come full circle here was that a lot of that is the experience of the hearer the person who is hearing it and what they're going through and the Black experience is a unique experience and what they have gone through historically, right, that we have conversed about here. So this is a thing that when they heard the, this, this essence of just what God is able and will do and can do, it was applied and it was heard in a very special way. Like one person I was speaking to said to me, you know, you can have this amazing sermon by, let's just say, this, a, a particular Black preacher but the way that a white person will hear it and the way that a black person will hear it will ultimately be different because of the experiences, obviously, that they come into the congregation or wherever it's being preached, um, you know, of their lives. So, is what do you guys think about that? Um, I,
1: I think that's true of anything. Yeah. Uh, or culture. Mm-hmm. The way we were raised, the w- way we believe, you know, whether we're... Um, it depends on the generation. It depends on we all hear things differently, mm-hmm. but the the one thing that black preaching does is it reaches into the very heart of suffering, and right. and and says there's hope.
0: Right, and I think what they were saying is that because of the uniqueness of of the 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 the. The long suffering slavery oppression Jim Crow the history of oppression towards people of color, and and they were telling me that experience is is an experience that obviously white people and many others don't have, and so when yeah, they but, listen but, to it,
1: yeah, but that's not true. The okay. Jews went the Jews Jews sure. went through the Holocaust. Um, you know, um, remember that most white people who came to the United States, came as indentured servants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's it's only when they discovered that they could have free labor with the slaves that the white servants became rulers and and beaters of of the slaves and so forth. But so it's, it's not that anyone escaped. You know, when you look through history, the the Arminians, you know, they were devastated by whoever they, it's, there's always, there's not a nation on earth whose history has not been impacted by sin mm. a- and and hurt people, hurt people. They got hurt, so they hurt somebody else. It's only in Christ where we reverse that and we say, yeah, we got hurt, but we're not going to. Hurt anyone. We're just going to turn the other cheek. That's the difference. So, so, everyone has their own issues of suffering. So, I, d- I don't want it to sound like only Black people suffered. Yes, the problem is that Black people's suffering became systemic. Right. It became, we now know it as systemic racism. But all of the other folks that suffered, they got through okay and systems were changed to make them free from their, their suffering. Only black people were left in the state they were brought. Mm. And no matter how educated you are today, there'll always be somebody who will look at you and say, but. Mm. So so we... we You know, as a Christian, I want to understand and be fair that sin has done a huge job on all of us. But the only problem is that one race was not allowed to experience the exodus. Everybody else has their exodus.
0: Right. Yeah and I think that's that that's that last part there that you're mentioning or at least again with the with the different people that I spoke with that's what I believe they meant by the different and unique experience that systemic essence that has continued and has continued and so when they listen to something um uh there's the something being a sermon that we're focusing on here for this episode on black preaching and they listen to the essence of it they're going to receive it a bit different than others would because of what you just mentioned of that systemic continued oppression that has happened. Um, Or at least that's what I was, that's what the information that was given to me as I had conversations with um, different people regarding this topic. Um, Gervon, what are your thoughts?
2: I think doc is spot on. I also think though that, um, the way we were cultured has a lot to do with it. And I, I, I'm, I'll i give you an example. Um, so I grew up in Jamaica, came here when I was about 17, something about, and um, I will be honest with you. The first time I went to uh, uh, an African-American church, I was wondering what's going on. I'm, I'm just being serious because Jamaica was colonized by the British and um, or worshiped to a great degree um, is very eurocentric so the Anglican Church was predominant there the Methodist so forth and then the Adventist Church which came out of the Methodist tradition um, adopted a lot of those things so unless you were you grew up in a Pentecostal church in the Adventist Church in Jamaica it is understood that you are very reserved in your worship um, so many churches for example you won't find certain type of instruments or anything like that it's very, Eurocentric. And this is true for many of the other Caribbean islands. I've been to Barbados, the very same thing. And I've had conversation with individuals like that, the very same thing. It doesn't mean though, that I never wanted to give a certain response. What's interesting is that the church in Jamaica, for example, whenever they had um, public campaigns, like a 10th crusade, the style was totally different out there than what it was in the church. You're almost expected to say amen and carry on and so forth. But when you go back in the church, um, no, 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 we don't do that in the church. Hmm. Um, so when I came here and I went to a black church, for example, I was like, wow, um, they're very expressive. They're very um, emotional about it. And it, 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 it was not something that I readily um, appreciated. But having gone and having grown in my experience with that, I understand now why this is so and why this is very important. The point I'm making is this. If you have, for example, um, been been, been not used to systemic racism or anything like that, and you grew up in a, a culture where you're expected to be reserved in your worship and so on and so forth, then... Um Of course, you're not going to respond in a certain way to the same sermon that I would hear who has gone through all the struggles that right. you have not gone through, so as was but, pointed out it's 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 a lot to do with how your cultured and your own experience because the same sermon can stimulate different response from two different people
1: yes L- let me give you an illustration why I would say that we need to teach our people, Adventist Christians, to break out of that,
3: mm-hmm.
1: regardless of their color or culture or black, brown, white. My, my first trip to Korea, I was invited to speak at an evangelist, to do an evangelistic series for the Koreans. And the the way that I was coached was Um, Remember, these are Koreans, they're not Adventists, they've come to our language school, they're not used to emotions, you know, jumping around and all this kind of thing, it's not going to win them, but I'm going to be who I am. So I started out this series, and the first night, there was maybe about 50 people, the next day, there was 150 people. They brought their friends and they, because they heard something that stirred them, and they saw that something stirring me to the point where I couldn't just stand in front of the mic and say words. We baptized 95 new believers, mm. in, and it was pouring rain, heavy buckets of rain, the day of the, the last day and the baptism and everything like that. Mm. When we started out, my Korean translator, he was stiff as a board because that's how they had been taught. These colonized Christians have been taught this is the way Christianity is supposed to be. When I preached and I moved and I expressed and everything, by the third night, my translator was jumping around and expressing and doing and everything. <laughs> and I'm telling you something. We worship God and we let go of the, they let go of the restraints mm. and fell in love with a Jesus that breaks chains and releases people and, mm. and, and empowers people and Preach. All, all of these kinds of things. So, mm. so we, we, this generation, we have a responsibility to not be ashamed of this heritage of black preaching. But Amen. we ought to share it and not 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 preach white when we're preaching in a white church and then black when we're preaching in a mm. black church. But preach God in our own skin wherever we're preaching and release the chains that have held God's people from celebrating His presence in their lives.
2: Authenticity. Yep, be your authentic self and preaching.
0: Yeah, Amen. I I really I love this conversation. I'm I'm listening, learning. Um, and I think that just to to come full circle to the essence of you know where we started and, and defining it and the essence of black preaching. and as we have been speaking here for the last hour or so, I, I pray that that uh, this episode would just be something that hopefully will not only be helpful but hopeful, but it will be a catalyst to continue to dig deeper into this, beautiful essence of black preaching, but ultimately any preaching of any person. Um, and tell me if I'm wrong here um, is dependent on the power of the spirit of God. Is that fair? Amen.
1: That is very clear and fair.
0: Yeah. Garvan, your thoughts. You are spot on.
2: You're spot on. Very clear and fair indeed.
0: Can I ask you guys, what are some of the specifically now, Black preachers that you guys listen to, whether within our community of faith, outside of our community of faith. Would you like to say that here on on the record? We won't, won't, you know, hold you to, I know there's a plethora, just like I mentioned Walter, you know, Pearson. Well, he was one that, you know, ultimately I can mention a ton that I have continued to listen to um, and so, and have been minorly blessed and learned from. So, but people want to hear from you guys. So what, what are you, um, Hayvith, let's start with you. Some of the, some of the black um, like preaching that you would recommend yeah. inside and um, outside of our
1: faith. Mo- most of the ones that I listen to are not of okay. our faith. So what's his name? Calvin. He's in New York. He has the big church in New, New York.
2: Oh yeah. Calvin. Um, but no.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Calvin, but,
2: Calvin yes. Butt, yeah. Abyssinian, Abyssinian,
1: Abyssinian. Yeah, excellent
2: you. preacher. Yeah. That man can right. preach. Uh, By the way, I must again? insert this. Yeah. Me his name Calvin Butts. I think it is. He preached at Pelk a few years ago, a sermon entitled of Towers and Lights. You should check that out. Yeah. And he's awesome, awesome. Yes, yeah. yes, Okay.
1: I've been to his church many times, and the movie stars pack that church. You have to go early to get a seat for their mm. third service. So anyway, okay. he's, he's one of my favorite. Anyone um, else? Th- there's a female. I can't think of her name right now, but I do have some females, and they are not of our faith. And um, William Curtis is another uh, yeah, one. That, that's, that's the one I that, was going
2: to tell you. Yeah, that, yeah, you uh, got to listen to William Houston it, Curtis.
0: Yes, we appreciate that. We're going to put some of these names on the on the show notes. You know, links um, to their. But sermons. you you
1: didn't hear from Gervin he's, he's picks.
0: Yeah. No. Oh, well, he's, no. He's I definitely
2: next. William Houston Curtis. I also like, um, and, and some would argue that he doesn't do a lot of black preaching, but Tony Evans does a good job. I like listening yeah, to Tony yeah, Evans. Yeah,
1: but Tony Evans for me is is like um, the changing of the season. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he has winter, summer, spring, and fall.
2: <laughs> I, <laughs> I won't dispute that. I won't dispute that. There's another. Um, uh, but his, his son,
1: is... but Tony Evans' son. Okay. Well, I've heard one sermon that he just was so amazing. Just amazing.
2: Okay, okay Okay. i'm not sure who his okay where is he is he's in texas too That's yeah not, you know yeah okay okay um i can't remember his name right now but um he preaches a sermon in job i've listened to a few of his sermons uh if i remember i'll let you know javier but yeah those are two that come to mind readily those are two that come to mind right
0: well, that's awesome. I, I, I appreciate that. I know like some of the some and we don't have to discuss whether we like them or not or whatever, but I know somebody who is highly listened to now is Michael Todd. He's he's okay. up there and, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, he's listened to and part me. Yeah, go ahead.
2: I I, I guess you're a- I don't know if you're talking about those who are living, but E.V. Hill is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. You can listen mm-hmm. to his sermons. Uh, I can yeah. listen to a sermons from any day. But he's, he's, he's dead, of course. But yeah, I, just, I, I had to put that one in.
1: I, I think for me, the most important thing is to be, to know the elements or structure or, or, or what makes it um, unique. And then be your authentic self. Don't try to imitate
3: Mm.
1: someone else's cadence uh, you know um rhythm all other preaching is rhythmically mm-hmm. preached only black preaching has cadence mm. and 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 that's part of the winsomeness of black preaching but anyone who's preaching doesn't have to have cadence just 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 let this scripture take take you to the places where it can make a transformational difference in your life and others.
2: Indeed. Um, I I forgot that I I, I listened to um, Dr. Marcus Cosby as well. He's a good one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember um, a a sermon about preaching with power. And and what what I, I would suggest is this. We must always remember that Preaching is not our idea, it's God's idea. And if it's God's idea, as long as we come to him with humility, he will empower us through the Holy Spirit. You know, man didn't invent this to help God out. This is God's idea, this thing called preaching. And he uses black preaching as one of those tools for the salvation of souls. And through the empowerment of the Spirit, he will use this art that he's given to us. As long as we come with humility and depend on Him by the Spirit, He will empower us.
0: Gervon, I want to thank you for your thoughts. Um, and also, Haiveth, thank you both. I, re- I really appreciate your time and your input. May God continue to bless you both in your endeavors. And may the Lord continue to empower all of us through His Spirit to preach His Word. Whether you have it, family and friends, I hope you were blessed and perhaps challenged by our conversation on black preaching. I know there's so much more that can be said, yet I do hope and pray that this episode would be a catalyst in which you as the listener will want to even dig deeper into this beautiful subject. Thank you again to Dr. Williams and Dr. Marsh and to you for listening. And if you feel inclined, please share this podcast with your family and friends and would really appreciate it if you can leave a comment and rate the podcast as well. Until next time, God bless.
1: Thank you for listening to this Restore podcast. We hope you've been blessed. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any of our inspiring episodes.